When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. Is doing the most important things alone a good idea? How comfy are you with your choices when it comes to life's biggest decisions? What is real peace of mind with financial confidence and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors. Okay, I want to welcome everybody, everyone listening and watching to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors. I am your host. I'm here as always, again, Chris Flaming, And today I have the honor of welcoming Lisa Rodriguez to the show. She is currently an employee relations director for the Charlotte County Clerk of the Circuit Court in Southwest Florida. She also brings experience as an HR administrator and specialist in the private sector and her former life. Lisa, thanks for being here and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for hosting these podcasts. I find it so refreshing to know that, you know, your mission aims to educate your listeners with simple common sense financial wisdom. I I find them really refreshing and, and I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much. Good. Yeah. Thanks for being on. We're going to have some fun. So Lisa, I'm sure you have an interesting history. So take me through briefly kind of what led you to where you are now. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Well, first, I must state that my opinions here that I'm going to be stating are my own. They're based on my own experiences. I'm not representing any particular company, employer, yeah. or investment firm. Right. But my background is diverse, and it's afforded me a wealth of knowledge. And thank you for indulging me, because I want to talk about four industries that kind of led me to where I am today. And the first one was in uh, 1980. I was 19 years old, and I was hired by a large uh, jewelry chain store. And originally, I was hired to do their accounts receivable and then graduated to sales. But the economy was such that gold had escalated to between $800 and $1,200 an ounce. So it prompted the the chain to start buying gold and silver from their customers. So I was taught how to uh, determine cut clarity inclusion in stones. I used calipers. I had um, instruments where I could determine whether it was 10 karat, 14 karat, or 18 karat gold. And that was very interesting. It was a wonderful opportunity first to get to learn the um, the whole gold and diamond industry and, and quite honestly, the markup that's involved in it. So that was a wonderful opportunity right there. And, um, you know, it's interesting to see how the fluctuations in that market right now, gold is at 1600, but, you know, we're talking well, well over uh, 40 years here. So, it, it hasn't escalated as, as quickly as some might have thought. But my next role, um, I was hired as an accounts 
payables clerk for an oil company. And the owner liked my honesty and he brought me into the fold and he had me doing the inventory for their oil containers. And their containers were between 150, 250,000 gallon containers. And you you measure that by the size of the container, the number of inches in that container and the temperature. Well, I got so good at it that I could tell them if somebody was stealing from them, because you can imagine we're talking, you know, early 80s where there wasn't a lot of technical advances in, in the measurement and the distribution of oil. So they took me in the fold and they showed me how oil is purchased in futures. And again, what was really interesting to, to know now, hindsight 2020, right? At that time, like 1982, 83, a barrel of oil was was uh, on futures between seventy five and seventy nine dollars a barrel. Today, oil is seventy two dollars between seventy two and seventy nine. So, um, what I've learned is that what drives the price of oil, the price of gasoline, is really not the cost of the barrel, but in fact, the cost of transportation and taxation. That's what drives it at the pumps today. And um, so, it's interesting when. Um, the governor, uh, DeSantis, who I absolutely love, when he recently talked about how, you know, he was going to try to drive down the cost of gasoline, he can only do so by eliminating taxation. And uh, locally, you know, it's about 58 cents a gallon that, that they can do. So, yeah, again, just a really wonderful opportunity learning that industry and what drives our, our cost. And, and when I see, you know, price escalating as, as quickly as we do, the truth is it's, it's, um, it's greed that uh, that uh, drives those costs. So that's interesting to know as well. And then from there, I left. Um, now we're talking mid to um, mid eighties. I became a realtor, and I wanted some autonomy. I really got tired of the accounting business. Always end of the month, end of the quarter. And I uh, started with residential real estate, but then quickly realized that my love was in commercial real estate. Um, dealing with investors um, presented lots of challenges, but uh, what I liked about that is, you know, when you're dealing with uh, an investor, and they're typically men, it's about numbers, you know, it's not the emotional aspect like a residential home is. So I honestly put all my eggs in one basket, and I I was dealing with two developers, and the economy was such that it was a boom, certainly what it is today. And um, unfortunately for me, while I had uh, 20 over, you know, million dollar sales, well over 20, 30 million. I mean, like, like you know, your, your, your hands are itching thinking, oh my God, I'm like set for life. Unfortunately, at that time, the counties were not equipped with city water and sewer. And so they decided to put a moratorium because the real estate market was going crazy. So that halted my, my role there. And I quickly had to get an, a new job. So I got a job working in accounts payable for pharmaceutical company, Hoffman LaRoche, which is their huge mega, mega giants in the uh, medical and pharmaceutical and vitamin world. They produce Centrum and stuff like that. So one of the things I did, because I'm not one of those like rubber stamper people, and I was responsible for 50 nuclear drug facilities. So instead of just paying the bills, I would actually call the facility and say, hey, you know, you got a thousand or 2000 widgets. Did you actually, you know, receive all of them? Were there any defects? And, and ultimately, you know, would find out that there was exchanges. So within a few short months of me being there, um, the VPs came to my desk and they were like, oh, Lisa, 
whatever you're doing, keep it up. And I was, I was like, okay, you know, they were like, well, because you were, you know, you just don't want to stamp it. You make sure that we got the goods and whatever. We got a check for over 1.5 million in refunds and returns. And they picked me up in a limo and they bought me lunch and silk scarves. And, and they said, we're going to take you to one of our nuclear drug facilities and uh, where they, where they make this drug. And I'm like, okay. So I get in this limousine and uh, where I worked was in Nutley, New Jersey. And they were driving me literally to my hometown. I, I grew up in Warwick, New York, and we were going through the Sterling Forest mountain range. And I, I was quite shocked, actually, because I had no idea that there was a, a nuclear drug, a nuclear plant in my hometown. And uh, did you ever watch uh, The Simpsons? Where um, you know they start the promo where Homer is in a white suit behind a, a glass partition, because that's exactly what I saw. And um, so again, learning the pharmaceutical drug industry and the drug, you know, all that's involved in that. Um, that was uh, an interesting and wonderful lesson. But I decided to go back into real estate and worked for a gentleman who did shell homes. And I don't know if you or your um, listeners are familiar with uh, the Jim Walter homes, but what I did was um, I would frame out the exterior of the home. I would sub out the foundation. I would obtain the financing for the people, um, do title work, do loan to debt ratios and such. And uh, that was a great job because while I did not know how to build a home uh, prior to me accepting the job, I quickly learned how to design a home from the ground up. This is before, you know, CAD um, was that uh, was so electronic. So everything was done with, with rulers, quite honestly. And so I learned how to build a home from the ground up, whether it was on a monolithic or knee wall or full basement and learned that uh, real estate industry. And then the, the owner wind up dying. And so I found myself with an opportunity. And at that time, we're talking 1989, and my sister had moved to Florida. So I thought, all right, I, I'm, I'm going to move to Florida. It's, it's affordable. And it was wintertime and they couldn't pour a foundation. So I didn't know where to go. So I went to a temp agency. And at that time, there was only two agencies. There was the AAA employment, which required the, um, the employee to, to pay three weeks of their salary. And, and the other one was brand new, an industry called temp to perm, which is really what the industry is today, but it was brand new at the time. Nobody heard of it. And um, the owner, I got dressed nice, you know, with a briefcase in hand. And the owner, uh, who was from New York, liked me. And she was like, you know what? I want you working for me. Throws me the keys to her Mercedes and says, I want you to go out and uh, get me clients. And every time I would go into a, a business and ask them, you know, what type of person are you looking for? Inevitably, they would say somebody like you. And so within six months, quite honestly, I was hired on by a manufacturing company. And um, this manufacturing company was owned by a conglomerate. And they made uh, Honeywell Square Ds. And one of my first tasks, again, brand new HR, really don't know anything in it, but I'm getting baptized by fire. They said, all right, we're going to fly you up to um, Elizabeth, New Jersey, and you're going to lay off 3,500 people, which you know I did successfully and came back and then worked in the recruiting, hiring engineers, punch press, um, all of that. But um, they also wanted me to be their benefits administrator. So they flew me up to Chicago, where I got to meet the owners. And the owners were seven elder men. They were like in their 70s, God bless them. And if you've ever watched that, that movie, Other People's Money, that's exactly what these guys were. They would buy 
big mega industries, electric companies, uh, forestry companies, manufacturing companies, and they would shake off the top, fire the the top guys, fluff up the, the revenue and sell the company. So they again, they brought me into their fold. They taught me benefits administration uh, because they did an employer match. I, I was responsible for the 5500 reporting and also the ERISA notifications and such. Um, I left that job because they fired my bosses. I knew the handwriting on the wall and I knew that uh, that company would be defunct and it was uh, three years afterward. But then I went to PGP Industries and at PGT Industries, they're, they're still existing today, great company, but uh, it is a very physical work environment. And so hence, they have a lot of turnover. And so my claim to fame there was taking advantage of training tax dollars that were available. And in this case, um, there was a lot of immigrants coming to our area, in particular Asians and Haitians. And um, the recruiting was such that we needed you know, to hire hundreds of people and at that point, it is really what you know. It's just, can you breathe your heart, quite honestly? So creating this training program, using state funding and utilizing their old employment uh, uh, manufacturing plant, I called up their vendors, asked them, can you supply us with free raw materials to do this training program, which they did, and created this training program, which is really still in effect today. So I take great pride in, in that one. I'm going to talk a little bit more about those training dollars in a second for your listeners, because I think it's so important that people take advantage of it. But um, my my next step was going to Miller Beer as an HR administrator. And interesting is I got that role because of PGT at the time when I was hired, it was a, a brand new plant, filling them up with all their help and working with the contractors at the time. So when I looked to get a higher position in HR, the owner of the Miller Beer company knew the contractor and mentioned my name and and. He happened to say, I know her. I like her. I, I was managing their Honeywell security in PGT. So it's interesting how those connections get you to where you are. But with Miller Beer, um, certainly not, uh, not any different than PGT. It's a very physical environment, the beer industry. The beer industry is highly competitive. They, they fluctuate prices daily to compete with the, the uh, Budweiser and stuff like that. Um, so you know, I had to learn that industry. But the company allowed me... And I, I assume because of my personality they allowed me to be a part of the community. So I worked with the chamber and got really involved with the local chamber. And I wound up being the president of the state of Florida FIAC Association, which is Florida employers. And uh, that, again, was because of my work with creating training programs. So with the Miller Beer Company, I created an on-site CDL training program. And I'm, I'm hoping your listeners that have the trucking industry, uh, because right now they're lacking in uh, licensed CDL drivers. Uh, what I did was work with the DOT. It was very easy. I got my mechanic certified to do the training. We already had the trucks on site and we did in-house certification. That helped uh, literally provide our own uh, staffing, reduce turnover. I also worked on increasing their wages. So I'm, you know, again, very, very proud of the work I did there and um, received a lot of accolades from them with that. And the monies that I want to talk about for the training dollars is actually derived by your feuded tax dollars. So what a lot of people don't realize is we all pay taxation in our feuded tax dollars. So the feuded tax rate is 6% of uh, this tax is, is applied from the first 7,000 that you're paid, paid as an employee during the year. And that money is used to create these training programs. 
and I still use them today. So CareerSource, for example, um, is the, the beneficiary for these re, these funds. And then locally, it takes an HR uh, provider such as myself to really work with the Workforce Development Board in capturing those dollars. So I'm really happy to say that CareerSource still has fundings, lots of funding available for employers. And um, they have an in-school and an out-of-school youth program. I intend to use the out-of-school uh, program that's for 18 to 26 years old. They just increased the wage to $13 an hour. So here's a great opportunity for those just getting into business or who already established that are interested in providing internships to people who are, or who need some temporary help because that program um, affords them 480 hours of training. Again, it's very easy to create a training program and utilizing of a staff to not only educate them, but to get the resources. And you can you know, use it as an ongoing training program at your offices. So um, that's something I'm still very active with today and promote. So um, you know, that's really my background there. But as an HR professional or benefits administration, there's other fiduciary responsibilities that you know, we undertake when we um, manage retirement plans. And, and that's what I want to you know, talk but what, about. What do you like best about your current position? about your career right now? What do you like best? Well, you know, I am, I manage literally everything, even though um, I'm technically not the benefits administrator in that the, the county does have its own providers, but I manage the notifications to staff, the enrollments to staff, you know, terminations and stuff like that. I also manage all the recruitment um, aspects. So I work with management in that regard. I also manage the employee performance program. So what I like about it is it's diverse. It's always challenging. But more importantly, because I'm a people person, I'm very effective at assisting people in, 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 at every level. So whether it's you know, assisting them in, their, in better communications uh, with them and their supervisory staff or supervising staff with their employees, but also in managing, again, performance evaluations and terminations and stuff like that. So I, I like it because it's, it's a challenging environment. I'm not just doing one thing every day. I'm doing multiple things, wearing multiple hats throughout the day. So if there's like, if there's a big change that's going to occur, maybe it's a benefit rollout or there's going to be a big change that's going to occur with benefits that are available. Um, what unique challenges, you just mentioned that there are challenges and you like that part. So what unique challenges are there uh, typically when something big is going to change or, or occur from a benefit standpoint? Yeah, that, that's a good question because everything's going electronic, right? And in this digital, digital age, you know, people can say, you know, COVID uh, brought on a lot of change, whether it's good or bad. But the, the good part that COVID brought on is everything's now Zoom or electronic. And so enrollment went fully electronic. The downsides to that is, you know, assuring that the people have the information they need to make the best elections for themselves. So what I do to help our employees, and I, and I do get accolades from other offices about this, is I've created a Lunch and Learn program. And I bring in professionals uh, to talk about, you know, various benefit provisions, whether it's, you know, FSA, um, financial guidance advice to retirement wills, probate and stuff. I, I bring in those experts to talk to my employees about that. And then I do host, you know, one-on-one -on -one meetings. Right now, I'm um, 
my employer moved from a traditional sick and vacation plan to a PTO program. So we just had to roll out that and educate people on that. So I'm just going through that right now. What do you think are probably the most important skills when you're dealing with employee relations? Um, Personal skills, like interpersonal skills. What are probably the most important ones? Well, the important one is the confidentiality aspect, you know, because people want that and trust, you know, trust is number one. And people want to know that they can trust you in, in, um, in their communication with you, because oftentimes people, you know, may use you as a sounding board and they may use you as, you know, getting the um, guidance that they may need to address a, uh, a situation. So communication skills and trust is, is key. Yeah, I can see that. And do you think, um, People's needs or requirements for what they would like to get from a benefits packet have changed. So I'm I'm curious what you are hearing from the people that you work with, the employees, uh, what the most wanted benefits or perks are right now. You know what I mean? Like someone who comes in, they're considering working for the county or the clerk of the court. They're asking, hey, oh, do you have this? Or, you know, this is definitely something that I'm looking for from a benefit or a perk standpoint. Yeah. So when I talk to employees, I believe one of the most important things is for them to have a disability package, Um, especially if they don't have enough accrued time because you never know what what could happen. And we certainly don't like to see our employees go out without any pay. So, you know, I talk to them about that. And we're lucky in that... um, we're afforded more a lot of options. So, for example, uh, using Charlotte County as an example, they have a, a group disability plan. And while it's very, very affordable, you, you can't find anything as affordable as they issue. It does have a 30-day waiting period. And initially, the reason why they had that 30-day waiting period was, again, to drive down cost. But the reality, the way met the medical industry has changed, most um, diagnosis you're not out for 30 days. In fact, you're not out for even two weeks. I mean, my God, heart attacks. It's like, get up after four days, start walking, hip surgery. You know, you're back to back to work in a, in a week or two. Hysterectomies, will, which normally was between six and 12 weeks, they're telling them two weeks. So I find that uh, a lot of people pay for this benefit, but they never get to use it because of that 30-day waiting period. So um, I introduced, you know, at the AFLAC and colonial plans that can afford them, whether it's a zero to seven day or seven to 14 day program. So, you know, those are the kind of things that um, I try to make sure that our employees are educated in that front. And, and granted, you know, there's there's a cost um, factor with it. So some sometimes people make the decisions based on cost and whether they're going to get things or not. That's, you know what drives a lot of people's decision on, on the benefits that they're going to get is really cost. And, um, you know, right now in this role where in the past I worked as a more discretionary trustee um, where, you know, you take full responsibility, managing the plans, investments, the 5,500 reporting plan statements and such. In my current role, I'm a directed trustee. So we outsource, you know, we have um, paid providers to provide the information that they need. And my role is just making sure that they get that information they need to make to make the decisions. But again, as I mentioned, I try to enhance that because what I'm finding, <laughs> what I'm finding um, is that a lot of providers are not providing the education that the people really need to make decisions. Or, and or a lot of companies provide so many resources. Like I just mentioned, we offer AFLAC and Colonial. 
um, as disability uh, packages. And interesting enough, Affleck and Colonial will make sure that neither has exactly the same plan because they they don't want you to be comparing apples to apples. So it makes it a little difficult for a person, you know, to choose one or the other. They really have to base their decision on, you know, and what benefits am I going to utilize on this plan versus this plan? Um, but when it comes to 457 administration, for example, I've seen employers offer way too many choices. Now, Charlotte County, um, which we enjoy the same level of benefits, they have four providers that they offer. And even that is a lot because, you know, while the portfolios may be the same, you know, they all have vanguards and stuff like that. They all have uh, a Roth or fixed annuities and such. I just find that when you provide too many options, like I knew one organization that provided 20 different vendors for their 457 choices, which paralyzed all their employees. And so I did a survey and I was looking, okay, you know, out of all the um, constitutional offices, whether it's school board, uh, fire, board of county commissions and alike, you know, given that they have various different providers that they can purchase a plan from, what was the overall participation? And I was shocked to conclude that the average participation was only 12%. Now, this was several years ago when incomes were much lower. So hence, that may have been certainly a factor in it. Um, But it was a very low participation. And um, I decided that I was going to educate our staff on the different plan provisions so that they can make the best choices. But uh, again, what I'm finding, and and please uh, let me know if you see this as well, what I'm seeing in the industry with these uh, 4.1s and 4.457s is they've reduced the terminology to merely, you know, what do you want to be in a moderate, conservative, aggressive fund? And, you know, the average person like myself is saying, what? I want to be in the fund that's making money. Give me, give me the plan that's making money. And I find that a lot of organizations, they'll either tell you, well, I'm not a licensed financial advisor. You need to talk to this one. Or they'll say, all right, the moderate fund is a mix of you know, mutual funds and stocks. And my conservative is just cash and bonds and the aggressive stuff. But they don't tell you what's in the portfolio. They don't tell you the terms, the fees, and so on. So my, in my role, I work to educate our employees, again, by getting these providers to provide sessions on what I believe are important questions. So for your listeners, I think the questions they should be asking when they're looking at plans are, you know, what are the fees? Are there surrender fees, which is very common in a fixed annuity plan, because obviously they're guaranteeing you a certain interest rate. So there's going to be surrender fees. But what I found out, uh, because again, I you lessons learned, well, years ago, we had a, um, a a 457 provider come and, and meet uh, a previous clerk, a different, I had a different boss at the time. And she just signed, signed the policy because the financial advisor was like, oh, I, I have this fixed annuity program. It's 6% guaranteed. You know, your, your employees are going to love it. And, and that woman got a lot of people to sign up. Well, the organization at the time was mostly senior. So mostly senior women in particular. And four years later, I get a phone call from an employee and she says, Lisa, I'm looking to cash out my fixed annuity. And I've come to find out that there's a 5% surrender fee. I wasn't in the plan uh, for five years. And that's when I had to educate myself because again, I'm not allowed to give financial advice. I can't ask those questions that the employees should be asking. And I found myself getting involved because again, I, I work for the employees. And so when I went to the provider, I said, you know, I'm, I'm really disappointed in that 
you, you know, you sold this plan, but you weren't forthcoming with the terms and the provisions. What can you do? And that provider did nothing. But when I went to the other providers, Valak in particular, I'm going to mention their name for a reason, because when I went to them and explained, hey, you have a fixed annuity, you know, what's your surrender fees? What's your, you know, do you have first in, first out or last in, first out? What's your administration fees and account termination fees? And they went into detail with that, but they stepped it up and they said, you know what, Lisa? we're going to waive that surrender fee for all, any of your employees that get into our fixed annuity product because we want them to know that, that they're safe. And so they did. So I have a copy of a contract that exclusive to our employees, they'll waive the surrender fee if they're not in the product long enough and they can use, you know, uh, Valak as a pass through. But those are really important questions that a lot of people don't ask when they get, in, get into those plans. And so recently when I met with employees again to talk about their deferred comp because we are in a position right now to make some changes, some benefit changes. So when I, I went to some employees who had this product and I said, you know what, can you show me a contract? Cause I did not buy the product at the time. Show me the contract and I want to see the plan provisions. And believe it or not, it wasn't even 6% they signed up. They were old, but it was actually 3%. And then the 5% was first in, first out. And it was over you know, 13 years. And Interesting, interesting that you learn. But uh, those are the things that I would like to see, you know, more providers provide the information that the the client needs. So do you find that, you know, is something that they're asking you to? Because by the time they get to you, I would think a lot of them are, this is, you know, their personal financial investments that they're doing probably in more of a retirement mode. Yeah, well, there's the, I think the topic you bring up, which is the annuity market in general, um, it definitely has a place for a particular person or that's seeking either some kind of safety of principle or a fixed interest rate or something like that. But there's, and they're good in some cases for the right person. But the point that you bring up about knowing everything about it before you make the decision um, is extremely important. So it's not that something's always good or always bad for everyone. It's just, it has a place as long as the person is making an informed decision. And there can be a, a paralysis of analysis where there are so many choices that they just can't decide. There's been, there was a study that was done where People walk in the supermarket and there were six jellies there and they tried them. And, and then the next month they put out 25 jellies. And what they found was, is when people had more choices, they actually sold less of the jelly because they couldn't make a decision because there were so many choices. So <laughs> um, a lot of that has to be gauged by the person's time frame, how long they have until retirement, what their appetite for risk is and what they're trying to accomplish with the money. But I've certainly seen that working with people who come to us at later stages when they're getting close to retirement, not really having any idea what they hold or why they bought it to begin with. Maybe they just had a friend did it, so they did it too. And um, yeah, working through that stuff, that can be, well, it can be difficult, but it's also um, very satisfying to be able to help them through that and decide what to do with it and when to maybe access it. It is so important. I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I am not an expert in it. I don't even manage my own money as well as I should. You know, I'm in the grind doing my day-to-day job. So I need somebody like yourself to guide me because I have a tendency to be very conservative. And so consequently, I don't make any money, which is sad because I'm six years old and I'm in a position right now where I have to, I have to get on board and I have to do all the right things right um, because I'm at that critical stage, you know? Yeah. So do, what do you think professionally is probably your biggest accomplishment thus far in your career? Well, I, you know, 
creating the training programs and getting people involved. I also work at, um, I'm on the board of directors for my local HR association. I've been on the board for 30 years. I've served in every role, including president. So I stay active within my community. I spend a lot of time educating others. And so getting speakers, whether you know it's, it's um, seasoned professionals or elected officials, I enjoy doing that. And so I, I do spend a lot of time doing that, again, whether it's for my own organization or for other HR professionals. Yeah. So I guess your legacy of service and education, is that what you would say? Yes, thank you. Yeah. I, okay. I, would, I would say that. All right. Um, outside of work, Lisa, can you think of something that you're really passionate about personally? Well, you know, again, as I mentioned, I'm now having to think about my future. And I've been all work and no play for a very, very long time. You know, assisting others and uh, helping others has been my um, my my life's work. But now I got to help myself. So um, I am gearing up to help myself by, let me give you an example, because I recognize that I'm in the retirement mode getting ready. Um, I was talking to an insurance professional and they were like, you know, Lisa, uh, they're going to start in increasing insurance rates on homes that have roofs over 15 years. So I knew that I wanted to make some investments in my home. I intend to keep it for at least five years and interest rates are really low right now. So I decided to refinance and I, I thank God my uh, homeowners renewed. It went up $800, but a, a week before I had had my new roof installed. So I got it to go back down. Now I'm working on, on me and doing, you know, all of the stuff to make me more financially sound. For example, one of the things that I'm looking into was refinancing. Now I have a great rate and it's, it's done me well for a number of years, but uh, one of the areas that I would like to see improvement in is uh, transparency and lending. So I, you know, might work to assist in that way where people can be a lot more transparent in the offerings they have, because I can't begin to tell you how frustrating it is for me that um, I, I deal with Third Federal Bank. And again, I'm going to mention the name because I think they're a great bank. And what I like about them is you can go to their website and um, an educated consumer, which I, I'd like to think that most of us are, you know, we we know the difference between a purchase mortgage and a refinance mortgage. We know the value of a home. We can certainly get the value. So with Third Federal, if I'm looking for rate shopping, I can go to their website, plug in some numbers, and instantly get the program and my cost right there. I don't have to divulge my name. I don't have to divulge other than where my home is located county-wise, but I don't have to give my street address or that. And yet the uh, majority of the lenders, like the Loan Depots and Quicken and them, don't provide for that while they advertise no closing costs and such. You have to divulge so much personal information and then wait for a callback. And then oftentimes the product that they're pitching is not the product that they're showing you. So um, transparency and lending is an area that I really would like to see improvement in. And we'll probably work to that regard. Yeah. So, you know, it will probably be always education. Like uh, I recently um, did some probate education because, you know, when you talk to financial advisors, they, you know, they often talk about trust accounts and living wills. And my mission and aim is to educate people, giving them free resource information, just like you do, which is wonderful. You know, you provide all this free resource information for your clients because, you know, you're, you're directing them in one aspect, but it's really important that they, you know, know uh, the full aspect of their portfolio, whatever. And so when I was doing some financial education, I um, discovered the Ladybird deed. 
right? And a little known uh, provision that uh, most people don't know about, and uh, the Ladybird deed is an, an enhanced life estate deed. It's an alternative way to transfer ownership of a property instead of transferring ownership and control of the real estate uh, to the property owner's beneficiaries, a ladybird deed uh, allows the property owner to give themselves a life estate or a life tenancy and provide, you know, ownership upon their death to an heir of their choice um, without having to go through probate, without having to pay any, anything other than a small recording fee for like literally $35, you can create a ladybird deed. And I intend to do that with my home. So again, upon my death, it just automatically transfers to my son without having to go through probate. And um, I recently, you know, put him on all my accounts, savings accounts, checking accounts. So again, he can have instant access to my money. Um, we don't have to go through, you know, you know, the the ugliness of what happens mm-hmm. when a parent dies. Are those yeah. the kind of things you talk about with your clients as well? Yeah, we're, uh, so we do comprehensive wealth management. We're covering not just investing, but all the, all the areas um, kind of guided by the certified financial planner, taxes, estate planning, insurances, uh, short-term savings, investing, retirement. Um, so if anything that's financially related or affects a person's finances, um, I want to be available to them as the expert to give them guidance or advice on that based on what I know about their unique financial situation. So I'm curious... Going forward in your current role, what you do, what do you see as the biggest opportunity or the thing that you're excited about um, in developing going forward at your at your current role? Well, currently, because I am going through um, a transition in benefits and stuff, educating the employees, because you can make a you can make a difference right now with with the the way the uh, new taxation uh, changed, new tax law changed. You know, it changed significantly, right? We're just now down to seven tax brackets, and you know, flat uh, standard deduction rate. So most people can't really take advantage of itemizing, but what they can take advantage of to in order to bring home more money is there's two things, right? There's either increase your pre-tax contribution so you can put yourself in a different tax bracket or create a home-based business or another business. So that's what I'm doing right now with my employees, you know, showing them the the benefits and the importance of pre-tax dollars and how it it can enhance them. And I use myself as as an example. I was uh, once contributing $100 a pay period and I decided to go to $200 a pay period and I actually took home $100 more and was saving $200. And you know, at the time I was like, what? I, what did I just do? And it was the power of putting yourself into a different tax bracket. Mm-hmm. So most of our employees are between the 12 and 22% tax bracket. And so they could easily you know, move themselves again from a 22 to a 12 uh, with just contributing like $3,800 or so. So um, that's what I'm doing right now. And it excites me, you know, to help people in that way. And, and especially for those people that don't know that, that they may have this opportunity to, again, report less in taxation and actually save more. So I'm excited about that. That's a big difference to those people, for sure. And on, I guess on the flip side of that, Lisa, what do you see as your biggest challenge? Maybe an obstacle you want to try to overcome or something that might be standing in your way or something that you need to overcome in your, in your current position? Well, right now, um, because of COVID, we didn't shut our doors, but we didn't hire for well over a year. And, you know, some people left. So we went down to historic lows in our office. Um, So from like, you know, 120 people, like when I first started, the organization was 160, then it went to 140, then it went to 120 for a number of years. 
and then it hovered about 115, but we went down as low as 70 employees, which was staggeringly low and really put a lot of pressure on everybody because now everybody's having to do more with less. And now we're trying to catch up uh, with that recruitment process. And yet we're in an economy where there's nobody out there to recruit. It's, it's, it's the first time I have seen this in my career that you're like, where are the people, right? And so again, I'm going to try, you know, creating these internships and training programs. And um, we're, you know, we're doing our best. Um, my organization is trying new interview skill sets and, and uh, tools to help them. But right now, the most challenging aspect is, is filling employment yeah, positions. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I see that happening too. It's definitely a job seekers market, right? Because there's a lot of jobs out there, but there's less people that are looking for them. And the ones that are they're aware of that. And so then they can, you know, kind of command or try to demand uh, certain terms or things that they would like in a job where before that wasn't the case. I know we're seeing that in the financial services industry as well. Okay. Well, that's really insightful. Lisa, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here. This was a really good conversation. It's been a pleasure to interview you. And folks, we've been here with Lisa Rodriguez, and I want to thank everyone for listening and watching the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we are raising the retirement confidence of everyday people to another level, one show at a time. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We will see you next time. Thanks for watching and listening. Take care and be well. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.